Hey guys, and welcome back to another Mandalorian Season 2 Breakdown. Tonight's episode was super well-paced, it was very fast and to the point, and it didn't cut any corners, but it got right to the point where it needed to be, without any extra dialogue or scenes that just didn't need to be there. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, and the live stream during the watch party was also super excited, and it seemed like you guys really enjoyed it just as much as I did. So we got a lot of stuff to discuss tonight, this is going to be a bit of a longer breakdown, so sit back, relax, leave a like on the video, and let's get to it. Now, in the recap for tonight's second episode, we actually get a lot of little clips from previous interactions between the Mando and the Armorer, where he asks how Bo-Katan ruled, and she tells him that she cursed Mandalore basically, that she lost her way and felt that she had claimed to Mandalore because of the Darksaber and her royalty. However, in receiving it unhonorably, she ended up cursing the world and being responsible for the state that it was now in. So as Mando sets his sails on Mandalore, he needs the IG-11 droid fix, so he heads to Tatooine to see Pelimoto and ask for her help in finding the parts that he needs to fix the droid. We once again, of course, see all the pit droids and everything we've seen with Pelimoto in the previous seasons. Now we see Pelimoto speaking to a Rodian. This is the same species as Greedo was, and she's basically scamming him. She's buying up time so the Jawas can rip his ship of parts. And once they bring her the parts that she needs from his ship, she pays them, basically for stripping everything. It's definitely a scam that she's got going on, but hey, what can you expect as Tatooine? So Mando lands in his N1 Naboo Starfighter that's been modded like crazy, and I love seeing this ship. Grogu jumps out of the pod like Yoda jumped around fighting Dooku in Attack of the Clones, and we clearly see that his two years of training with Luke is paying off with some new tricks. She asks Mando if the Huts are back and if he's taking on Boba Fett. So I guess word has traveled fast, of course, that Boba Fett is ruling with respect still, and of course she remembers this from the Boba Fett show. This also makes me wonder if we'll get another season of Boba where the Huts will actually return and cause some trouble for him. Much more than the Pikes ever could, which I thought were eh, kind of a lame antagonist. Peli says the Boonta Eve is happening, which is the Boonta Eve pod races, the same one Anakin Skywalker won back when he was nine years old on Tatooine, winning his freedom and embarking his journey into the Jedi Order thanks to Qui-Gon Jinn. It seems the races are enjoying a Tokyo Drift style of match compared to the pods years ago as we first knew it, and it seems like they're kind of going through the town almost. So obviously things have changed, rules have changed, and there are different events going on. No luck from her or her Jawa friends for the parts. These are clearly very, very difficult parts to find. So she sells him the R5 unit. Now, I'm under the impression that this is the same R5 unit from A New Hope. The one with the bad motivator, as they both have the same burn marks at the top of his head in previous Mandalorian seasons. However, in this one, I didn't see the same marks, so this could just be a regular R5. So Mando takes the ship, and they head to Mandalore, as he tells Grogu that he grew up on Concordia, just ahead of Mandalore here in space. Concordia has a great history that I can cover in another video, so I'll do that there. Mando says every Mandalorian can trace their roots back to this planet. And you know what, that's something that I find really interesting about being a Mandalorian, that you can be an alien from any other planet, you can come from anywhere else in the galaxy, but the meaning of being Mandalorian isn't about where you're born, it's about your beliefs. And this belief system has one collective planet, or rather a few, Mandalore. It's pretty cool. Mando and Grogu speed through the atmosphere as it rains and shoots lightning all around, emerging from the clouds to see the planet in crystallized ruin. 
The Thai bombers and radiation destroyed the planet and resulted into this state. It's very sad, the planet used to be a very beautiful place. So they land and they send R5 to scout the atmosphere, and as he does, his radar doesn't blink anymore for the droid. So Mando goes in to search for him, and we see how ruined the city has become, entombed under the crystallized structure. Din Djarin gets in trouble with some Alamites, igniting his darksaber and having great difficulty wielding its immense weight. He struggles to defeat them, but ultimately is successful. Now, I gotta say, these Alamites seem to have survived when the humans couldn't, when the Mandalorians could not. So Mando brings R5 back to the ship, and after a quick scan, realizes the air quality isn't poisoned at all, and that Mandalore is not cursed. So Bo-Katan was right. Grogu and Mando head down to the mines. I love this scene. They just drop down. Mando with his jetpack, Grogu with his pod. As they pass by the city center, and we can just see how much ruin has befallen this beautiful planet from the Empire's hands. And there's going to be more about that that Bo-Katan actually explains in a bit, so uh, sit tight. We see some pipes inside the mining hole, which, yeah, this just reminded me of where Ahsoka and the clones went to find Maul in the Clone Wars Season 7. It just looks similar, but I don't think it's the same spot at all. As they walk through the mines, Mando picks up a dusty Mandalorian helmet when he's captured by a large cyborg with a general grievous-looking eye. Super cool concept art. Whoever came up with this and then got it approved, you all did a great job. I really loved this one. It had some old Revenge of the Sith concept art vibes, and stuff is really starting to feel more and more like George Lucas's, and I love it. Now, this dude is creepy. He moves like Grievous, and is literally just a brain with one eye that moves from one mechanical machine to the next. Whatever this dude is, this creature, this thing, he has some very high-end cybernetics akin to Grievous's. And you know what? That's more than Vader could say, because Palpatine was trying to punish him. Grogu tries to free Mando with the Force, but fails, and so Din Djarin tells the baby to go get Bo-Katan. Now, some people in the live stream chat during the watch party were wondering why he didn't just go back to get Boba Fett. But I would say that's because there's less explanation needed with Bo-Katan and the fact that Bo knows Mandalore so well. As they land on her world, Baby Yoda grabs her attention and she scans the ship's logs and the droids. So they head in her ship, the Gauntlet Starfighter, which is a super cool looking ship, and they head back to Mandalore. She tells Grogu it didn't always look like this, you know, as they land down and go find Mando, heading deep into the mines. She takes her helmet off as she stares at what has become of Mandalore. She says this was once a beautiful city and that her family laid claim to it all. Now it's just a tomb. So she's quite aware of her surroundings and her overall development as a person as she pushes Grogu aside and blasts down some more Alamites. We see how proficient she is as a fighter and Mandalorian as she makes quick work of them without the Darksaber at her side. Heading into the general Grievous 2.0's lair, as I'm going to call him, where Mando is being held and his blood is being sucked or something like that, she fights him and then summons the Darksaber when she gets down on the ground. As she ignites it and moves so smooth and swiftly around, unlike Din Djarin, who really just wields it like Thor's heavy hammer, and he's unworthy as heck. Bo beats the creature twice, once in his grievous form, and then again when he moves as a little brain eye thing to his major mecha warrior suit. The Darksaber is rumored to be more powerful than a lightsaber blade, but who knows for sure in canon. I really want to find out more about the Darksaber, and I hope that they're going to reveal some canon information. Like, how'd they get the crystal? What does the crystal look like? What's so special about it? Why does it have that sound, that color? 
Is it more powerful? Is it more stable? So they make a hot cup of soup once Mando is rescued and Din agrees that Mandalore is not cursed. She says, Was I? The ground is destroyed. Nothing to cling to but ashes. So Mando drinks the soup under his helmet and he's still staying loyal to the children of the Watch's creed of nobody showing their face to anyone. So Bo mocks him for wanting to still go into the waters. And Din says, without the creed, what are we good for? What's the point? She seems inspired or perhaps had a nefarious plan behind this, but it was very hard to tell. She tells Din that she'll take him to the springs he seeks for atonement. Grogu poofs, which tells me that he doesn't really trust Bo. He can probably feel her nefarious feelings, perhaps. You know, it's kind of like the whole time he was just like... She says the Empire set out to punish them to wipe away their memory of their glorious planet as they walk through the mines. Bo says what's painful is not that the Empire destroyed them, but rather the civil wars that they endured as Mandalorians for centuries, leading to the weakness for the Empire to break them. Bo admits as a child that she went to the springs to play, but as her royal family would have her do, she would have to publicly recite the Mandalorian tenets in front of large crowds. So Mandalorian people love to see their princess do this, and I should mention the Mandalorian tenets are also known as Rasul Nair, and they're a set of core principles that define what it means to be a Mandalorian. The six tenets include wearing armor, defending oneself and family, speaking the language of Mandoa, raising children as Mandalorians, contributing to the clan's warfare, and answering the call to action from the Mandalore. Mando tells her that he wishes to have met her father and that he died defending Mandalore. So Mando pauses, stops walking, and says, this is the way. She realizes how patriotic Mando is, and she seems to really like it. I think she's kind of got the hots for him, maybe, or respect for him. I think there's a bit of chemistry here, perhaps, and you should have seen the chat livestream log last night. People were going absolutely nuts shipping for these two and many more, but we won't get into that. So anyways, I remember you guys. Shout out to you guys if you're here watching this breakdown, which you probably are. So anyways, maybe they got a love-hate relationship. We'll see what happens going forwards with that. So they arrive at the Living Waters, and this is where it gets crazy. It's a dark, dungy-looking place. She reads the plaque on the pillar, and it states that this is the place of the Great Mythosaur, that Mandalore the Great was able to tame the mythical beast. It is said that if a Mandalorian rides a Mythosaur, they could control all Mandalore and Mandalorians. Now, I think this goes even beyond the authority of the Darksaber, to be honest. Personally, I think Mandalore the Great is just the new canon version of Mandalore the Ultimate. Now, Mando the Great was described by the Armorer and Bo-Katan as being, you know, an ancient Mandalorian ruler who led the Mandalorians in many wars against the Jedi. He's basically known to have tamed and rode the giant Mythosaur, which of course has become a symbol culture for Mandalorians. Now, Mandalore the Ultimate, who I think they're actually talking about, but maybe just calling it a new canon name, Mandalore the Great, has a very deep history. And I'm going to get into that in its own video. However, I'll briefly say he was a physically powerful warrior who led the Mandalorian Crusaders during the Mandalorian Wars. He was one of the last Tong to claim the Mandalorian titles, and Tong were just a species. He was known as the Great Shadow Father. He was always very upbeat, he was always very encouraging and motivating, and really went against betrayal, humiliation, and deceit, which he felt plagued them since the Great Sith War. Mandalore the Ultimate was cut down by Revan, and his mask was actually stolen by the Jedi in an act of both physical and symbolic victory. 
preventing the Mandalorians from regrouping by selecting a new leader. As Din walks into the water and recites his vows as a Mandalorian and the Creed, Bo looks on in admiration of his loyalty and passion for Mandalorians. She seems like she really respects it. As he recites and walks further, he drops like a sack of bricks in the water, all the way down to the bottom surface where Bo grabs him after jumping in immediately and now blasts back up with her jetpack to the surface with Mando. When she passes a giant creature, a mythosaur, thought to be extinct. End of episode. This is freaking nuts, guys. This was a creature that we didn't know still existed to this day. And here it was the whole time on Mandalore. So the mythosaur does still exist. Legends had it wrong that it got extinct. And I mean, legends in the show when they explain it. It was on the planet all along. This means rule over Mandalore is still possible if one is to tame the creature, which is exactly what I think Bo-Katan will do. She may tame the beast and use it to defeat Din and take the Darksaber for herself. She may then band together her people and lead them to war against the remnants of the Empire, or maybe just rebuild Mandalore, either physically or by finding a new world to inhabit and starting from scratch. Now a funny theory is if Grogu uses beast control like Anakin did on the Reek in Episode 2 Attack of the Clones in the Genosian Arena to tame this beast, making him the leader of Mandalore and riding the Mythosaur perhaps making Bo and Din work together, meaning they could both rule the Mythosaur and maybe even both rule Mandalore. I think there's something going on between Mando and Bo. I like to call it Manbo, but anyways. There was a lot of really cool stuff in this episode and primarily, of course, the Mythosaur being, you know, the big wow factor at the very end to keep us, of course, hooked for next week. Now that this exists, this is going to essentially be Boba Fett riding the Rancor times 150,000. Let me know your guys' thoughts down below. I hope you enjoyed my breakdown. Have a fantastic rest of your evening, and I will see you all in the next episode on Star Wars Theory. Until then, remember, my fellow Jedi and Sith friends, the Force will be with you always.